Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, breaking down the first two days of free agency with our friend Jamie Nye, 980 CJME in Regina. The Bombers and Riders haven't done much, but, well, we'll talk about that. And who has been active, like the Ticats and Lions and Argos for sure. Also, we'll talk to Kevin Serretta, the MJHL, as they're gearing up for the stretch drive towards the playoffs. And David Glass, tournament chair of a big squash tournament. Canadian Team Championships this weekend in Winnipeg. That's all on the podcast. Day two of CFL Free Agency is in the books. Winnipeg hasn't done much. Neither has Saskatchewan. We go to Saskatchewan now, where we're joined by Jamie Nye, host of the Green Zone on CJME. Jamie, how have you enjoyed the first two days of free agency? Uh, the riders haven't really made it all that exciting, I'll be honest, <laughs> uh, for uh, for those in in Saskatchewan. But it's been interesting to see. Uh, I'm more interested in, in, in who's still out there when you talk, talk about some of the receivers uh, that are still available, uh, offensive linemen, and you look look around and you start to wonder, if the salary cap and the minimum salaries going up has had a big impact on uh, maybe some guys thinking they're worth more than what other teams are able to afford. It's, it's been an interesting uh, first two days anyways. We'll start with uh, your t- team that you cover, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They signed James Franklin at the quarterback position to back up Cody Fajardo. They signed old lineman Josiah St. John, and that's it in terms of free agents. They also re-signed uh, a number of players, but Let's let's go with Franklin. This is a player that was was supposed to be in Saskatchewan a couple years ago, right? It's supposed to be a bigger deal as a rider. Yeah, there's a, a lot of people clamoring for James Franklin when the team was uh, after the Darian Durant era on what they should do and who should they go get. And uh, because of James Franklin looked really good in Edmonton, if you look at his three years as a backup, threw for 12 touchdowns and only one interception, it was like, wow, this guy has something. Uh, so Ryder Nation, he was linked with Chris Jones, was there in Edmonton, brought him to the Canadian Football League with Stephen McAdoo as the offensive coordinator. It just seemed to make sense. He opted to go to Toronto and uh, work under Mark Tressman based on uh, some of the things other other people have said about Tressman, the QB whisperer. Uh, but talking to him yesterday, it sounds like he very much regrets that decision that maybe he should have opted to try to make it go with uh, Saskatchewan rather than going to Toronto. Uh, add some depth behind Cody Fajardo, who took some big bumps and bruises last year as the Riders QB1. Micah Johnson, the fair to say the biggest departure from last year's squad? Uh, biggest departure in terms of free agents uh, that have left. Uh, Derek Moncrief, the outstanding right. linebacker, went to the National Football League, so that one hurts. Uh, but in terms of free agency over the first two days, Micah Johnson uh, didn't even get offered a contract, he told us, from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But it leaves a big hole in the middle of that defensive line. And what he was tasked to do, he didn't have the numbers that people were expecting, but I think he took a lot of pressure off Charleston Hughes and A.C. Leonard, who had two great seasons off the edge. So it'll be interesting to see what the Riders look like without a big guy and a very good defensive tackle in the middle. Last year, one of the biggest teams in terms of activity and free agency was the BC Lions, and it did not work out for them last year. They were terrible for the most part last year, but this year, again, very active. Uh, O-line was certainly a weakness. They signed Riker Matthews, but that's kind of been it on the O-line. They signed a ton of people on defense. Looking at what they've done in the last two days, fair to say BC is going to be a tougher competitor next year in the West. 
Well, you'd hope so. Like they still have Mike Riley uh, and they still have Brian Burnham. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that offense goes. And I'll, uh, the one thing I will say, Riker Matthews, great addition on the offensive line, of course. But if you look at the the move they made, they brought in Kelly Bates as the offensive line coach. He's sticking around with this coaching staff and they removed Brian Chu. And since that point, you look at the numbers of the offensive line in BC and they were pretty good. They improved drastically in the back half of the season on their old line. So I, I'm looking going, okay, did they need to make huge moves? They still have a few guys out there that they could re-sign, uh, David Foucault being one of them. But uh, but on the flip side of that, they needed a better pass rush. Chris Casher is underrated out of the Calgary Stampeders. Micah Johnson we just talked about, of course. And it, it's going to be a stronger defensive unit for the BC Lions. So, yeah, I expect a few more wins out of BC and a definitely a stronger start to the season than they had last year. Looking to the East now where there was really one good team last year, Montreal was fine. They certainly benefited from playing in a weaker division. Toronto has been very active in free agency. They spent a ton of money. They bring in Matt Nichols. They bring in Jawan Breskison. They bring in Tavares Daniels. They bring in a ton of players on defense like Winnipeg's Craig Rowe and Drake Nevis, who were both good when they played last year. Nevis was, I think, really underrated here in Winnipeg again fair we don't know on February 12th how these will translate but it seems to look like Toronto's getting it back together here well it's it's interesting it's the give and take uh, you they lose Cleon Lang they add Drake Nevis I'd say that's a soft except Cleon Lang is a Canadian so that right. helps on that end uh, so you start to look around on who they bring in who they gain who they give up who they lose uh, but when when you talk about Tavares Daniels, Jawan Briskinson, Nick Shorthill, Philip Blake, Darius Bladek, Fabian Foot, Chris Ackey, then I'm talking about the Canadians, and they are improving their national depth, which is vital for success in the Canadian Football League. If you don't have national depth, you're scrambling uh, at times. And now that you have ten starting nationals, I know some of the, three of them can be. I like to call them fake Canadians, which are veteran Americans. Uh, so there's going to be lots of teams who can fill up the rest of those spots and still have the starting seven Canadians. I, I liked what the Toronto Argonauts did, but I want to know under what magical salary cap the Hamilton Tiger Cats think they're working with, with the work <laughs> they have done. Because my goodness, Larry Dean, Patrick Levels, Devere Posey, Courtney Steven, Don Jackson, Dylan Wynn, I'm looking at a team already with a lot of guys re-signed, uh, Brandon Banks, and then you have Jagarit Davis. It's like, wow, how are they making this all work in Hamilton? I know it's a long way to go. They might make cuts, but I've I've really looked at the Tiger Cats, and already I'm starting to pencil in November, book hotels in Saskatchewan for the Hamilton Tiger Cats because they look that strong still in the East. Not to mention they re-signed Jeremiah Mazzoli. I mean, they've yeah. got, they're, they're completely set. It seems to be just as good as last year. And Don, adding Don Jackson at running back they're, they're, They had, that was probably their weakness was their run yeah. game. And when he's been healthy in Calgary, he's been darn good. So <laughs> Hamilton Tiger cats uh, definitely see their window is wide open right now to try to win a championship. And now, and thanks to Winnipeg, Hamilton now has the longest drought for gray That's cups true. in the CFL. 
talking with Jamie Nye, host of the Green Zone in Regina. Uh, Montreal was the second best team in the East last year. Looking at their free agent additions, every single one of them on defense, the entire list, it's a dozen players, they're all on defense. Deontay Evans, they re-signed him, but everyone else brought in free agent-wise. Surprised they haven't made a single signing on offense? Uh, I, I I don't mind their offense. Uh, Vernon Adams was able to put up points, so uh, I look at that defense. They weren't happy with it. They were another team looking for a better pass rush. I don't know if they really got it with their uh, signings that, that they had, but uh, clearly Danny Machocha and is working. He's up against it a little bit with the salary cap. So they, they had to do some, I think, cheaper deals and mid range, lower range free agents, uh, clearly uh, paying attention to their defensive secondary. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to be a little bit concerned with what Montreal is going to look like because uh, losing Patrick levels, however, and Chris Ackie off that defense, isn't going to help them trying to improve the defensive side of the ball. And Ottawa was the worst team in the CFL last year. They started off great, and then it just went off a cliff, and they couldn't find any wins. Obviously, the quarterback position was a nightmare for them last year. They addressed that with Nick Arbuckle. Paul Apolise is now the head coach there. They've made five signings in the first two days. They brought in Anthony Coombs, Cleon Lang, Don Unamba, Abdul Kenna, and a, another linebacker, Christoph Malamba, and just five players for this team that was so bad last year. Obviously important players and big players, but some more work to do there for Marcel Desjardins? Uh, I think so, but uh, Marcel wants to pay attention to his uh, Canadians, and they, they spend a lot of money on their Canadians that they've re-signed. He kind of pointed to that today uh, with the offensive linemen and started the, some of their starting stars on defense that are Canadian. Uh, he invested in Cleon Lang, again a Canadian. Anthony Coombs, again a Canadian. Uh, Christoph Malumba as well. Um, I, I like Don Unamba. I think he's another one of those underrated guys who's starting to make a name for himself, especially from his time in Hamilton and then uh, the work he did in Edmonton last year. And Abdul Kane, uh, if he can get back to Ottawa where he was excellent, uh, didn't really equate to much in Toronto, but if, if he feels comfortable again in Ottawa, that could be a big signing for that defense. Don't mind the work uh, that uh, that we've seen, but it, it it's it all rests on whether or not really Nick Arbuckle can be the guy in Ottawa. Uh, that was the big trade, the big signing, trying to improve the QB play, but relying on a guy who started all of what seven games or so to to prove himself. It could either go one of two ways. It could be Cody Fajardo, like the Rough Riders, and it pays off, and you get a new guy, or it looks like Drew Willie uh, that they invested in in Winnipeg, and all of a sudden you go, oops, and uh, you're scrambling. Luckily, they got Matt Nichols uh, to, to help that out for a few years, but that it could go one of two ways for the Ottawa Red Blacks at quarterback. Right. Uh, before I let you go, just looking at the landscape now, a couple days into free agency, um, who's made who's gained the most in, in your eyes in terms of if you have power rankings and who maybe dropped the most? Well, I, I, I look at when you, you scroll through and you're starting to see the moves, on the additions, I still look at Hamilton uh, with Jackson and Steven and Herdman Reed and Larry Dean coming back and Levels and Posey. You know, the rich got richer on that one for the, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, and when you look at losses around the Canadian Football League, uh, I, I'm, I see the Edmonton Eskimos have seen a lot of guys, and I think their secondary 
a lot of good secondary players, but of course they've responded on that side and signed a few players. So uh, I've, but I see a lot of stars leaving the Edmonton Eskimos. So early on, and sometimes I hate doing it. I, the winners and losers in free agency, I guess, get decided in November, actually. But I go on the plus side for Hamilton on the negative, the Edmonton Eskimos. All right, Jamie, appreciate your time as always. And we'll check in with you as we get closer to the kickoff of the season. Absolutely. And I, I, I'll apologize again to your uh, your producer uh, off the air. My mother was leaving and I said, love you when I answered the phone. So that was a little awkward, so I apologize again uh, uh, she to did, your technical producer. She did tell me about this, and she thought it was very cute. So <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> right on. All right, thanks, Jamie. Have a good night. We're hitting the stretch drive of the MJHL season, so joining me to chat about it is Director of League Operations and Future Commissioner of the MJHL, Kevin Surrett. Uh, first off, Kevin, have you heard from a lot of people after the announcement couple weeks ago that you'll be taking over for Ken Davis at the end of June? Yeah, I did. I, you know, obviously friends and family and, you know, people from around the league and people from far and near from my past. So it's, it's always nice when you, you get recognized and you have that kind of media attention. It, it brings out those congratulatory, you know, messages, which, which I think everyone likes to see. And it's, it's, uh, They've been coming in, you know, still to this day. So something I'm pretty, pretty happy about, and it's, it's pretty special. Have things quieted down a little bit now, though? Yeah, it has. I mean, really, it's, it's, you know, other than the messages and the media coverage, it's the next day was just back, back to work and back to, you know, a normal day with my role in the MJHL and, and nothing's really changed on that front. It's obviously still still to come, but we're just as a league getting getting ready for playoffs and getting ready for we have a US player ID camp in Grand Forks in April and we have our playoffs and we're in the middle of of our award selections for, for the season awards and um so yeah, it's it's just ongoing and, and like any other day right now. So a 60-game regular season, we're into the really home stretch here as every team has 10 or fewer games left. Uh, any surprises through this uh, first 50-plus games of the season here? No, I think it's it's kind of what we thought at the start of the year. is going to be a very competitive season, and, and it's been that way throughout. And I think some of the teams that, you know, were thought to – to be near the top or have found their way near the top. And, you know, obviously Winkler, I think is, has been a bit of a surprise in the sense that, um, you know, totally new GM, new head coach, kind of a, an overturn of that organization. And, and from start to finish, they've been one of the top three teams all season long. So I guess you could call that a surprise in a sense, but, but overall it's, it's shaken out the way that, you know, I think people thought it would and, and it's pretty interesting, even with most most teams having ten games or less, there's still some exciting, you know, movement that could happen within those top eight spots that that do make the playoffs. You know, Portage and Winkler are one point apart for second and third, and um, the top four obviously get home ice advantage. So, you know, right now five, six, seven are only separated by three points, 
And then even the last playoff spot is still, it's still really up for grabs in the sense that Selkirk has a six point lead on, on the blues with the, They've each played 52 games, but they play each other twice in these last eight games. And and so that'll be an interesting one to watch. I think both teams obviously really want to be involved in playoffs. And and uh, so those will be some interesting dynamics within the within the final standings in these last eight games for, for everyone to watch and, and see how it all shapes up at the end of the season. Right now, Steinbach in first place. They have 80 points, Portage 74 uh, then Winkler, 73, Swan Valley, 69, the Wolverines, 58, Verdon, 58, Dauphin, 55, Selkirk, 50, and then the Blues with 44. Steinbeck still still could be caught by Portage. Portage has two games in hand, but I think you'd like, if you're Steinbeck, you obviously want to hold on to that one seed. Yeah, I think for them, it's they want to they wanna win like like everyone else, and they, they can probably taste it having, you know, home ice advantage throughout the playoffs, so I know for them that's that's really important as it should be for for every organization so you know they're they have eight games to go Portage has 10 and you know Winkler has seven so it'll it'll be interesting I I don't know if if those teams will catch them but you know they're going to try their best to to get as high in the standings as they can how has Steinbeck been able to put it all together this year to have the season they've had I think they have a lot of depth. Obviously, they have players that that have been there before. Um, they have a great coaching staff, and and you know I, I give them a lot of credit. They've they've dealt with a lot of adversity this year with injuries. They've had a lot of man games lost with some top players, and I think that's just a testament to their depth and and their preparedness every game this season, and you know just on and off the ice, being ready for for each matchup and. And they're a team that expects to be at the top every year. So there's there's that pride and there's that that bit of pressure on them from from their community and the organization. And they've just been able to keep keep winning games with with down bodies. And you know if, if that team gets fully healthy, which I think they're they're getting close, they'll be they'll be a tough team to stop. And a big part of their success has been in net. Matt Lenz has been. Without a doubt, the best goaltender in the MJHL this season. 26-3-3 with a 196 goals against average and a 927 save percentage. No one else has a save percentage or a goals against below 275. So he's just been an absolute standout in that. Yeah, you can't forget Matt Lenz, that's for sure. He's He's been great. And, you know, they play team really good team defense. But Matt, you know, he's just been very consistent from start to finish. Even that the most recent... MJHL SJHL showcase event. His game, he he played unbelievable, and and it's kind of funny with Steinbach. They've they do a good really they they do a really good job in their goaltending. Um, you know, two years ago they had Matt Deason, who ended up when they won when they won the league. You know, ended up drafted to the Vancouver Canucks, and um, last year they had Matt Radomski, who who came in and you know was MVP caliber and. You know, he ended up committing to to Holy Cross, and he was the leading goaltender last year. And now they have Matt Lenz as well this year. So, obviously, they've they do their homework, and they've they've had some really good success the past few years with with goalies. Yeah, the, the number that's most staggering. He's played thirty three games. He's given up sixty four goals. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, no, that's that's great. It's uh, he's he's having a great year, and um, I think. As most people would agree, the goaltending position is probably the most important position on a team, and 
to have a consistent guy like that is is a massive benefit. So when does the last day of the regular season? March 1st. Okay, so you've got uh, just over two weeks left, and then uh, from a planning standpoint, anything particular you got to do to make the, the playoffs all work together, or is it pretty simple from a logistical standpoint? Yeah, it's pretty simple. We send them... You know the dates that each each round is going to start, and and the teams have to send us their available home dates, and and really once the matchups are set, um, the teams come together for their seven game series, um, planning wise, and as long as it fits in with within the parameters that that they're given, you know usually there's there's not too many issues, and and uh, so from that standpoint, it's it's fairly smooth. It's just more, you know, getting to the playoffs, getting the matchups, and then. And then obviously making sure that round one gets sorted out and gets started underway with, with no issues. So it's a, it's getting to the fun part. Obviously the regular season is, it's a grind even for, for everyone involved, I think from the teams, the organizations, the coaching staffs, the players, the league office, it's, it's a long year. And, and this is kind of a fresh, fresh, fresh breath into things once you get to playoffs. So I think everyone Everyone's excited to to get there, but it's going to be an interesting two weeks till we get to that point. We'll be watching closely, Kevin. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Canada's top players headline their respective provincial territorial teams as the 2020 Canadian Men's Team Squash Championships coming this weekend to Winnipeg. The men heading to the Gateway to the West as they're hosted by the Winnipeg Squash Racket Club. With more, I'm joined by David Glass, tournament chair, David, tell me more about what's happening. Uh, well, our club, uh, the Winnipeg Squash Racket Club, is super excited to host this. Uh, um, it's been about seven years since we've had uh, this event here, which is a national championship. Um, but basically, we have the best squash players in Canada coming to represent uh, their province um, this weekend in Winnipeg. So when we think of squash, we think of an individual sport. So how, how what's the team aspect of this? You're just competing and your results go towards your province's total? Yeah, um, squash generally is a, an individual uh, sport. So this is a little bit um, of a unique event um, where you have players ranked one, two, and three on your team. And there's an order set each day. Um, so I think on Friday, the first day, the number twos would play first the number one second, and then the number threes are the uh, the third and final match. Okay. How does Manitoba stack up against the competition? So as uh, as a host province, we actually get two teams, whereas uh, the other provinces only get one. Um, so our number one team is seated fourth, and our number two team is seated seventh for the tournament out of the ten teams. So we um, are lucky to have one player on our team playing professional squash, um, which most of the the better provinces have one, two, or three players that are professional players playing on the tour. So um, that's definitely a huge advantage to uh, to some of those other provinces. And who was that player? Uh, Connor Turk is his name. And is he the, would he be the top squash player then for this province? Yeah, he, I think he's the number one ranked player right now. Okay. Uh, are you playing in this or are you just uh, part of the organizing committee? I'm, pl- I'm playing as well. So how are yeah. you going to balance those two things? 
Well, you know what? It's uh, we're lucky here. We have such a great squash community. We have a bunch of volunteers, lots of members, lots of squash enthusiasts who are happy to uh, to help uh, facilitate and keep the the weekend going. It's going to be three matches probably for us, so it won't be too too much of a of a commitment for me. But um, you know, it'll be fun to kind of do a little bit of both sides. How long does the match usually take? Um, the matches can take any, you know, with three matches being in it, you know, up to three hours. Um, you know, you can, for some of the closer matches, uh, um, an hour per match. So it it will be uh, a long day of squash Friday, Saturday. Is squash much of a spectator sport? It's not when you, when you think about like tennis, um, where you have a, a giant arena and you're able to see from all sides of the court, um, for large squash events, we do have a they do have glass courts where the you know the view the viewing is you're able to see from every side of the court. Here at our at the club, it's sort of back wall glass viewing, so it's tough. Uh, it's tough to to get as many people as we hope to to fit in, but we usually fill it up, and that kind of gives such a great vibe to the players that there's you know it's it's a full house uh, for them to play in front of. So for those who would be new to the sport, what would they expect to see if they come out to watch the action on this weekend? They would see, like I said, the best players in Canada uh, giving it their all. You'll see some amazing um, movements and shots and hands and um, fitness and speed. These guys are well-trained well-trained athletes, and um, you'll, you'll definitely be entertained, that's for sure. It's a very fast sport. Very, very fast. Um, you know, the better you get at squash, the better the higher the higher levels of squash, the longer the rallies go. So they're hitting that ball and volleying and, and getting around the courts and stuff, but still having 20, 40, 60, 100 shot rallies. It, it, can, be, it can be taxing, yeah. I was going to ask you how long the rallies can go, but that, I mean, that means you got to be in some pretty good shape. Yeah, if you're playing at that pace for an hour, you uh, you're like I said, they're like our best players, the best players in Canada that are coming. This is their this is their livelihood. This is what they do for a living. So they are training full time and playing and traveling to tournaments to uh, to compete at this level. Talking with David Glass, the tournament chair of the Canadian men's team championships this weekend in Winnipeg. And uh, Dave, I'm just looking at the 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 rankings, and I noticed that number ten on the list is the Canadian Armed Forces. Yeah. Um, well, we do have uh, Canadian Armed Forces base here on Whitewald um, in St. James, and they have they have a vibrant squash community there. They got lots of people playing um, for courts, and and that's happens, you know, in in lots of cities. There's a have, there's a lot of people playing in um, Ontario and, and in Quebec, and um, you know, and and this Armed Forces team is com- uh, comprised of uh, compiled of people from all over Canada. Um, but they're, they're a staple. They're in it every year. These guys, uh, you know, they're, they're doing their, you know, their work outside of it, but they, they come and have a great time. And um, it's always great to catch up with them, uh, you know, at the, at these events. I guess pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. They, and there are no slouches. Those guys, they're, they're seated 10th, but you know, they're, they're definitely going to be able to uh, hold their own against some of the, the lower seated teams. How long have you played squash? 
I've played squash probably for 20 years now. Um, got to play, got to play professionally, you know, a handful of years ago. Um, retired from that and uh, was lucky to transition to the, the head squash professional role here at the Winnipeg Squash Racquet Club. So uh, changed changed a little bit for me, but it's it's so great. It's such a it's such a rewarding feeling to meet guys who are who are keen about squash and want to learn, and you're able to help them hit the ball better and and move around and understand the game. Um, it's uh, it's it's a ton of fun to to be the pro at the club. What is life like as a squash professional, touring around and playing the sport? Uh, well, it sounds glorious. Uh, you know, you get to you're going to you know exotic destinations. They're Canada, U.S. Um, they set courts up in the harbor in Hong Kong and the pyramids in Egypt. And these guys, you know, they get to they get to see a lot of the world and, and meet um, you know some great people and network and um, get to you know show their skills off for people, but uh, or fans, but it's not that, it's not that glorious. You know, there's, we're still trying to increase prize money and, um, you know, make the events more visible for people who say don't, you know, aren't familiar with squash. But again, it's a, it's a grind. These guys play and train and, you know, are really dedicated to, uh, to their craft. So it's, uh, I'm sure that, you know, it's, it's, it sounds great. And you know what they get to, they get to do a lot, but it's, very challenging. So, David, if people want to come check out the action this weekend, uh, where do they go? How much does it cost? So, the event is being run at the Winnipeg Squash Racquet Club, and it's just on the corner of Donald and uh, Stradbrook. The tournament starts at noon. That's when Manitoba 2 is playing their first game against the Armed Forces. Um, the tournament, uh, so noon is the first, and then 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock will be the uh, the other Manitoba team um, taking on BC. The semifinals will be four o'clock on Saturday, and the finals at noon on Sunday. And like I said, it's free uh, for anyone to to come in and watch and check out the squash. Well, David, I appreciate your time tonight, and uh, good luck this weekend. Thank you very much. Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from seven to nine with me, Christian O'Mel, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?